You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything, Everything. available everywhere you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Jenny Williamson. And I'm Jen McMenemy. And this is Ancient History Fangirl. We're thrilled to say we're going to be participating in the Intelligent Speech 2020 online conference, which brings together some awesome educational podcasters and listeners. The conference is entirely online, so you can attend safely in a socially distanced manner. And it goes from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on June 27th. At any one point, there'll be up to four different conference streams to choose from, as well as roundtable debates between podcasters. We'll be in the ancient history one. We'll also be doing our own presentation together as we discuss everyone's favorite god of wine, orgies, and revolutions, Dionysus. A one-day pass for the conference is $10 for early tickets, but act fast because the price is going up to $15 on Friday the 19th. This Friday, you can get your tickets by going to intelligentspeechconference.com. We had the pleasure of sitting down with Royfield Brown, producer of six incredible podcasts, including Dumpty Dum, 10 American Presidents, and How Jamaica Conquered the World, to talk about our podcast and our presentation for Intelligent Speech. There's a video version up on our social, but we decided to share the audio version with all of you. We hope you enjoy. And don't forget, go to intelligentspeechconference.com for more information and to get tickets. We hope to see you there. We are live. Um, Who exactly are you and what is it that you do? Uh, I'm Jenny Williamson. And I'm Jen McEnemy. And we are Ancient History Fangirl. Sounds so familiar. I feel like we say that. How we say it on the podcast. I guess that yeah. just that way. Um, yeah, we talk about, um, I guess, we're a really narrative-based podcast. We mm-hmm. are twice a month, and we talk about stories from the ancient world. Um, I think when we started this, we envisioned that we were going to basically just talk about everywhere in the ancient world all at once. You know, we weren't sure how we were going to organize it. But, but right but, now... But Jenny, you're getting ahead yeah. of right uh because what's unusual about your podcast mm. as opposed to the other people i've interviewed uh this week there's two of you there yeah. are two, two of us two. yeah so we need the origin story of how the pair of you actually got together 
Oh, geez. Well, okay, that goes back like ages into college. But the yeah. origin of this podcast was we were both like, we'd really like to do a podcast. We listened to a lot of podcasts. And Jenny was like, I want to do a podcast about the ancient world, mostly about history and really dig my teeth into it. And I'm like, I want to do a podcast about the ancient world and mythology, but I also like history. Mm-hmm. And so Jenny was like, yeah, I don't think we should work together. We have a good friendship. Let's not do that. And <laughs> In and, my and typical, history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then our friendship wouldn't be. Let's not ruin it, Jen. That's Let's not ruin it. So in my typical bullish way, I was like, well, I don't want to do this alone because it feels like a lot of work. And also I'm not good with like just talking. I just I get I get anxious and don't want to say things. And Jenny's like, but if you'd said that thing, it would be better. So eventually I wore her down and we decided to do this together. Yes. <laughs> and what is it that you guys both did at university? Um, so I was a English and speech and theater double major, and you were too, weren't you, Jen? Yeah, same. <laughs> same, same exact. This was ancient English and Roma Greco theater, hence ancient history fangirl. You know, <laughs> podcast, you know. Not we don't have degrees in this subject no. at all. All right. I mean, I. I've loved ancient history, particularly <laughs> mythology, since I was a little kid. Um, mm-hmm. I took Latin in high school and then I was like I don't think I want to do this again when I'm in college and then I remember doing um quite a lot in theater about um Greek protest theater and I've always been really engaged and interested in that and it's sort of you know I sort of pitched to Jenny I was like we could just do a whole unit on that and what that meant and what was going on and that actually became part of uh, our first episode or second episode I think it's the second one. Yeah. yeah. There was like a teensy sliver of it. And we've talked mm-hmm. about Greek protest theater a little bit when we have, when we had like, um, I think one of our Dionysus episodes, yeah. we talked about it. Um, but yeah, we want to do a whole arc on that at some point. I think for me, it was like, um, my parents were always really um, total history nerds. Like they were the kind of couple who went camping on, you know, like Gettysburg battlefield for their honeymoon. And mm-hmm. I grew up with history. My mom was the town librarian and I, you know, like she had all these cool history books of, you know, like Stonehenge and the Aztecs and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, And I just I just wanted to learn everything as a kid. And that love of history has really continued into adulthood. So, yeah. So you decided that your friendship could weather actually working together. Um, when <laughs> well, so far, <laughs> we've had some heated conversations, let's say. We have. <laughs> we've also texted each other at 2 a.m. in each other's time zones on random times, like just ridiculously random facts that you know the there's no one else in the world who would enjoy this as much as you enjoy it. Absolutely, yeah. So how long has the podcast been up and live now? Uh, about two years, I think, yeah. isn't it, Ben? Yeah. As of March, it would be about two years. Two years, yeah. And before we go into the actual subject matter of what you guys uh, cover on your show, um, what would be the thing which has most surprised you about podcasting in that time? In that time or in general? No, in, in, in the last two years since you've been official Bonifide podcasters. So the, the biggest surprise to me is how incredible the history community is. Like yeah. we launched this, we launched our podcast. We were both a little anxious about it because we are storytellers and we're writers and we're good researchers, but we are not historians. And right from when we launched, we had so much support of the history community, history podcast fans and the classics community. And it's been 
so great to find our place there. And I, I was terrified. I was like, oh God, people might just not like what we do. We might get something wrong. It just might be a whole, I'm very anxious. Have I mentioned that? But um, <laughs> the community has been so lovely and so inviting. And I just think like, to me, that was the biggest surprise. One yeah. of the criticisms of podcasting and history podcasts is that it's male heavy. So was that maybe one of your trepidations of going into the space? Um, maybe a little bit, you know, because there, there are a lot more. I think I haven't done a giant survey of this, but my impression is that there are a lot more male historians podcasting than female historians. But yeah. I think Jen and I really felt like we had something to say and something to contribute to the space, you know, like we wanted to talk about things from a feminist lens. And we wanted to even when telling, you know, male stories like we did a whole series on Julius Caesar. Um, we're currently in the midst of an arc about Spartacus. We've talked about, you know, a lot of men who are famous in history, but even so we wanted to bring like a woman centric lens to things. And I don't think that that was like a mission that we started out with. Cause I don't think we were very, I don't think we were necessarily thinking about our mission, you know, when we started, I think it just kind of evolved, but we realized that that, that was something that maybe set us apart from a lot of other history podcasts. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very difficult. Um, to read the ancient sources and to not feel at times quite quite angry about the way they portray women and minorities and I think as a result when we were dealing with them a lot more and we were more familiar with where to go for the research we needed it became very apparent that we needed to speak out in a way that we didn't in our earlier episodes and since then we have gone into our later seasons really having you know, I, w I would say a pretty feminist feel to our episodes, even when we're talking about males, because so often in history, um, women and minorities are erased in the favor of a male narrative that um, would not be possible without both women and minorities. And it's just it's something that needs, especially in the classics, to be um, and in ancient history to be called out and to be, um, you know, um, shown more light on. And, so, okay. Sorry, go on, Jenny. Oh, I was going to say, and we're not the only, you know, history podcast doing work like this either. There are quite a few other um, history podcasts that come at things from a feminist lens. For example, the Partial Historians, Explorers Podcast. Let's talk about Miss Baby does work like this. Uh, Queen podcast. podcast. Yeah, there, there are other people doing this work. And I think that one of the great things about being in this space is how we've been able to connect with other people who have similar passions like that. That's been really fun. Yeah. So, so okay. Um, I come wrapped up um, in the physiology. I'm not I said that completely wrong. You know what I mean? I've been mm -hmm. a guy. I'm a bloke, mm -hmm. as we say in England. Um, give me um, the female lens on uh, a specific character of antiquity. So um, myself and other dudes can go. You know what? Yeah, I hadn't thought about him or her in that way do you want to take caesar and i'll take spartacus yeah okay this is, this is gonna be great okay yeah. so um so like i said we were telling the story of julius caesar and i think it was last year i was probably in the midst of that arc during the last intelligent speech conference and there are this is a dude story you know but there were so many women around him that made a huge difference in in his life um we start with his mom for example when julius caesar was like i don't know 18 years old okay mm -hmm. this is this is going to be me getting into the history a little bit and i don't want to get too in the weeds but there was this dictator in charge named sulla 
And Stella was killing a bunch of people who did not conform to his agenda or who sided in the, on the wrong side in the civil war that he had just won. And he was a really scary guy. And there were heads hanging in the rostra and bodies choking the Tiber. And Rome had just been racked with violence over the civil war. Civil war. And he um, was rearranging aristocratic marriages to suit his own agenda. And one of the people he told to divorce his wife so that he could marry her to somebody else was the young Julius Caesar, who I believe was maybe 16 or 18. I forget. He's very young. Um, so Julius Caesar said no. And that was a dangerous thing to do. And as a result of that, he had to um, run off for a time and live in hiding and evade Sulla's, you know, basically like, you know, armed guards trying to chase him, down him or whatever they were going to do with him. One part of that story that that people don't tell a lot is how his mom intervened to get him back in Sulla's good graces. Now, his mom was not a Vestal Virgin herself, but she was very connected to the women's religious community, which was extremely influential in that time. And she prevailed on the Vestal Virgins to pressure Sulla to let her son come back home and to allow him to live and not have all these consequences on him that anyone else would have. And I also would mention that um, Julius Caesar was the nephew of Marius, who was um, Sulla's enemy in the Civil War. So he was already persona non grata. It mm -hmm. was Mom and the Vestals who basically saved his life by intervening for him in that area. And um, that's a part of the story that isn't told a lot of the time. It's kind of a footnote. Um, and we tried to draw that out in our episodes on that. We also did a lot of work centering um, people like Cleopatra, like we tried to really focus on her during episodes where she was um, important. Like we went back and talked about her life before she met Caesar and her, um, you know, ambitions and motivations and reasons for siding with Caesar and like trying to get him on side during her own civil war and what, you know, what her mindset would have been and what conditions she was dealing with. So she wasn't just an adjunct to his story. She was a really important, you know, major main character in that arc. So and I think one of the interesting things in, that you brought out was a lot of the ideas Julius Caesar had for the reformation of Rome actually came from ancient Egypt and Cleopatra. Absolutely. So there was a lot of cultural exchange that was happening that when you get to this point in Julius Caesar's story, like Cleopatra has kind of been shunted to the side and we just think, oh, Julius Caesar had this great idea and that great idea. And it's like, oh, all those great ideas came from somewhere. Yeah, um, there's a really specific example of that. Um, so the Julian calendar, Julius Caesar is often... Um, credited for creating more or less the calendar that we use today. I guess there, was, there have been some changes since then, but more or less the calendar we all use today. Um, he was working at the time to develop that calendar with Cleopatra and Cleopatra's astronomers from Egypt. So really we could, you know, we could just as accurately credit Cleopatra with that calendar. So it shouldn't be the Julian calendar, it should be the Cleopatran. The Cleopatran calendar. Maybe so, maybe he just took credit for it. So, Jen, you were going to tell us about Spartacus and how you view him in a different way. So everyone, I feel like most people know the story of Spartacus. I'm not going to get too deep into, into the weeds about who he was, but he was a gladiator who revolted against Rome. And he led uh, one of the most successful mainland or I think the only really successful mainland um, Italian peninsula revolt against uh, the Roman authority. Um, and he was brilliant. And we all know his story. And we all know his story for one reason. In his retinue, Spartacus had 
uh, a female whose name is literally lost to history. She is only called the Thracian lady. She was a, a priestess of Dionysus and she was his spin doctor. She was the one who was spinning the legend about Spartacus that was making it possible for him to grow and for people to believe in him and to follow his leadership. And she did that because as a priestess of Dionysus, Dionysus was, um, incredibly popular amongst enslaved people, um, immigrants, Thracians in particular. And he was, um, the at, at a later point in time, the Roman Senate will, pa will pass a law outlawing the worship of Dionysus because he was so dangerous. A lot of people who rebelled against Rome took Dionysus as their patron god, like Mithridates, who at the same time, mm -hmm. the Romans were fighting a war against. They both took Dionysus as their god because he was subversive and so this priestess was revered by the people who followed her they all had a shared religion and she gave spartacus this sort of divine legend that he was going to win like a lot of the signs and symbols we have attached to spartacus like the snake iconography that's involved in his revolution um come back to her uh but when we tell the story we leave her out which is such a such a crime she was either spartacus's wife who willingly went into enslavement with him or she was um someone he met while in in, in the um in the ludus we don't know because again history is not interested in telling us that story but we can um we can weed out how she worked and why she was important there's another really crucial um moment uh, in Spartacus's story where women are involved. And Spartacus and his uh, rebel camp are uh, camped up high in the mountains. And some women have secreted themselves off because it is their time of the month and they need to do whatever purification rituals they need to do or whatever their culture tells them. We don't exactly know because, again, the people who are telling us the story didn't want to get into those details. They didn't feel that was necessary. Um, but because these women had taken themselves aside, they saw the advance um, contingent of Crassus's scouts looking for Spartacus. So they were able to go back, warn the entire camp, and escape. So these are two stories we don't associate with Spartacus. And we should, because if not for these people, well, the revolution would have failed a lot sooner. <laughs> yeah, and, and it also tells you that women were in his in his army and participating in the revolution, which isn't like yeah. a side of it that you get a lot of the time. Yeah. What do you think is the enduring appeal of the ancient world for us, specifically in in our culture, and our culture being derived from 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 Western Europe, from you know fundamentally um, ancient Greece is strong. That's not in Western Europe. Egypt is definitely not part of Western Europe. But culturally, the ancient world, we we look back at those civilizations as well as obviously Rome. Um, what do you think is the enduring appeal of that ancient uh, Mediterranean world for us today? Oh gosh, I don't know. I mean, it's so well documented. That's one thing. I think that you can you can really dig into these sources and you can get all these all these incredibly juicy stories. And some of it comes from um, like some of it you you kind of think is propaganda. You know, like um, things like Caligula making a brothel in the imperial palace and all all kinds of crazy stuff like that. But you can also sort of weed through that stuff and try and find grains of truth, which we definitely tried to do in our own way. You know. Um, I just, I just think I mean, the amount of times that the that the imperial palace was turned into a brothel during the Julian Claudian dynasty, right? Did was it ever a palace? <laughs> oh, Elagabalus did it. Well, I Elagabalus, guess Nero, Caligula. 
This is exactly this is how we answer this question when you're like, what's the enduring appeal? Well, the brothels in the Imperial Palace. I think that so much of Western culture has been based on the idea of Greco-Roman democracy and ideals. Um, and you know, there's there's a massive downfall to that because the Greco-Roman democracy seems like it's like such a great example. But you know, we we did a, a whole um, series on the Servile Wars. We're just getting into Spartacus, and a lot of times it just glosses over the fact that the Greco-Roman democracy wasn't democratic for most people, mm-hmm. and they had a lot of problems. And you can yeah. see that today. Like that's kind yeah. of what we've done. We've built all of our stuff around it, and it's. The stories are enduring. The imagery is is like, um, especially myth- particularly mythology. Imagery from mythology is so iconic. It exists in literature. It exists in artwork. But everything kind of needs to be dug deeper into the history to really understand the problems that we're still experiencing. There's so much resonance. I think that's one thing. Like, like yeah. there, the democracy, the democracies of the ancient world left so many people out, and that is absolutely the case today. Yeah. So when you get to four seventy six. What are you pair going to do? Hang up your podcasting headphones and mic and then just call it a day and go do something else. <laughs> what happens when you get to 476? 476. Um, um, well, I think we've talked about, um, you know, we don't want to just be an ancient Roman, ancient Greek podcast. That's that's the key thing. Like, we're not going to go through all of ancient Roman history and then end. Um, I think we're going to get to a stopping point and then hopefully shift to maybe some other culture, maybe some other part of the world. and be there for a while and then shift to something else. And I think it's hard to, you know, plan so far in advance because it turns out that everything we do just takes so much time, you know? Yeah. Some of that is, is because we're not historians. So we are uncovering these incredible moments in history, sometimes for the first time. And Mm -hmm. we just dig into it and we really enjoy that. And we enjoy giving that to our listeners and hopefully they're getting that same experience of digging into the culture around us and uh, that we're, that we're researching. And we, we've talked about eventually we will go to other places in the world. We hear you. We, we, we do want to go there as well, but the work that we're doing um, requires us to do a lot of research and to really dig into, into the culture. And there's just some things we need to get done where we are first. I mean, the ancient world, it was not just Rome and the Mediterranean. It was everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Last question. Um, obviously, you're going to be speaking at Intelligent Speech on June the 27th. What is going to be your topic and why have you chosen it? Jen, why don't you take this one? <laughs> so, as I mentioned, um, a lot of... So, this this season we're in right now, the big thing was supposed to be the story of Spartacus. And I've been doing research for this for about a year now. And... One of the things that I read was about this Thracian lady who was a priestess of Dionysus. So I said to Jenny, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to do an entire episode on Dionysus because he's just so cool. I didn't realize he was so cool. I always just thought he was like the god of a good time and maybe some orgies, which again, sounds cool. But but definitely not a god of revolutionaries and the god of like the lower classes and enslaved people. So I started digging into the research, which wound up being three episodes on Dionysus and they're all good fun. Um, But the second episode is, I think, my favorite episode I've ever written. It's called Dionysus and the Religion of Revolution. So Dionysus was, um, he was, he was the god of of wine celebration and orgies and revolutionaries. And um, 
at a certain point in time in the Roman in Roman history, he was incredibly feared because the people who worshipped him were enslaved people. They were women. Women were the priestesses with the power to let people into the religion. It was and very women led. This religion. It was very women led at that point in time. And men over a certain age couldn't be um, indoctrinated into the religion. So the men who, who were already grandfathered in, they were fine. But the men who weren't were always like young men who were like, I don't know, maybe before their majority, 16, 18, um, who were now being influenced very heavily by women and mixing with the social classes and having these late night bacchanals in the woods that the Roman um, aristocracy and men were not invited to. And so as a result, the Senate became terrified and they had to pass a law to outlaw the religion. And I don't want to give you guys too much because there's a lot to share, but that is where we're coming from with our presentation. Mm -hmm. And I think this is very much a hidden voices story too, because this is, this was a religion mm -hmm. of the marginalized at that time. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it got so powerful was why. Um, Do you think I could still just about squeeze into that like kind of cult? You know, am I, am I too old? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. You're grandfathered in. Listen, you have to tell us the name of your podcast one more time. It's Ancient History Fangirl. Ancient mm -hmm. History Fangirl. It's my favorite podcast if I'm into ancient history from the perspective of two fangirls that know a shed load about it, but take you on a journey because mm -hmm. they're not historians, but what they are is incredibly passionate about the topic. Jenny and Jen, thank you for coming on to uh, Intelligent Speech to give us a little bit of a taster about to see what people can expect on June the 27th. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you for having us. Thank you so much for inviting us. 